0: One of the surest ways to launch a successful startup is to define an entirely new market category. One that's easily understood and valued by your potential customers. By doing this, you instantly become the market leader and gain a first mover advantage. This is exactly what Liam Norris and the lads at Anti-Ordinary are doing by reframing skiing safety helmets as fashion items. Welcome to Fractal Startup Marketing the podcast for founders who are frustrated that potential customers do not understand or they undervalue their innovative business solutions. My name is Jared Doyle. In each episode, I interview founders who openly discuss how they're tackling the seven P's of startup marketing. In true startup fashion, we aim to learn through collaboration and discussion. Let's get into the episode. So welcome to the episode, Liam. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Jared. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. I uh, first met Liam or saw Liam when he did this absolutely spectacular pitch in Sydney. We were both down at a startup event. We didn't know each other. I was in the crowd, heard there was a Queensland startup coming on, and he has this pitch that just blows you away, which I'll talk about after he's done his verbal pitch because he's not going to be able to do the same pitch now. So we'll talk about before- that afterwards. No, it would be good. We should we should record it. There's a YouTube link. We'll, yes, we'll share that. Definitely.
1: We'll link it off. Definitely.
0: So before I talk it up too much, Liam, do you want to give us the uh, the elevator verbal pitch for anti Anti-Ordinary.
1: Yes, so um, I think that might have actually been Rob Brody that pitched down in Sydney, but um, nonetheless, anti-ordinary, we are a beanie that's as safe as a helmet for snowboarding and skiing. So one of the big problems we identified in snow sports is that people don't wear helmets, which is really problematic because it's a life-saving device. Um, and one of the crucial and key elements that they don't wear helmets is mainly style and comfort. We found ourselves that we actually don't like wearing helmets. We're smart enough to actually wear them because we're not very good snowboarders or skiers ourselves when <laughs> we need them, but we actually, they're crucial and there's still a decent percentage of people on the slopes shredding that don't wear them, which is just insane when you think about it, especially think of the Michael Schumacher injury. He was wearing a helmet, and even then it didn't quite you know, do the job, but like, people have all these crashes all the time, so they're a crucial device. And the thing with our material is it's not just applicable for the snow sports. It can be applicable across skateboarding, ice skating, which we're excited to do, but right now we're solely focused on snow sports. It's using a material called non-Newtonium, so that means non newtonian material, which hardens on impact. So it goes harder when you like have a crash and it goes back to being soft. So a pretty cool material. We kind of use the example of cornstarch and water for those people who haven't heard of it before.
0: I was just gonna say that that's where my head goes cause I've got two kids. So, and you add a bit of green, food coloring and you make yeah. slime and it's with corn sludge. That's what you're talking about, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's good fun. Yeah, There's a lot of <laughs> yeah, grade seven science classes, I think, they, they do it these <laughs> days. But yeah, it's a good kind of reference point for people who don't quite understand the material.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important just, just to get right back because when you open, you know, you, you straight into it. And I think if you're listening to it, you might go, hang on, hang on, what are we talking about here? So just to be 100% clear, we are talking about a beanie that acts like a helmet. So we're talking beanie as in soft woolen thing that I pull over my head and it keeps the top of my head warm, my ears warm, although I live in Brisbane. So that was, I don't ever need that. But what you've done is you've made a beanie that offers you the safety of a helmet.
1: Sorry, I might've just over-explained it. Yes. No,
0: no. I just, for me, you know, it's a visual thing. And so verbally, I just want to make it 100% clear. If someone's listening to this, we don't want to lose them right from the start and go, no, "No, it is a real thing. This is what the guys are doing. And the trick of it is, the material that you're using to make the beanie style is flexible. If I understand, it's flexible like a beanie so I can pull it over my head. Yep. And at the unfortunate case or in the unfortunate situation where I have an accident and I hit it with impact, just like the cornstarch, corn flour starch water, syrup, yep, yep. water, yeah, it hardens instantly and offers you helmet-like protection.
1: Yes, yes. And it's never been done before, which I guess makes it all more, all the more unique and exciting. So there's companies that have tried similar products and they say it's a beanie that's a helmet, but it's, none of them have ever been certifiably safe before. And ours is certifiably safe to the international safety standards. So yes, it's a beanie. It can fold up. It's warm like a beanie. You can pack in your bag easy. It's comfy like a beanie, but it is still as safe as a regular helmet.
0: Right. And you were saying your audience, right? The target persona, if you like, of the people you're going after. These are people that are snowboarders. So you've niched down to snowboarding to say, let's just get it right for snowboarding. And obviously it crosses over because it's a beanie. So it's warm. So snowboarding makes sense. But part of the reason why you've gone after this audience is because you sort of identified that there's lots of people who are snowboarding and skiing who aren't wearing a helmet because it doesn't look cool. So two things jump out to me is that in itself seems like a brilliantly defined <laughs> problem and persona. And secondly, so is it not law? You don't have to wear a helmet if you're snowboarding.
1: Yes, correct. We're going after both snowboarders and skiers. We're not, we're not discriminating against skiers. They can definitely, we want them wearing a helmet as well. <laughs> and yes, correct. So style and comfort are the two main huge factors that we've identified. And no, it's not law anywhere. Sorry, the one place in the world is Nova Scotia in the northeast of USA. I think the slopes around there regulate that you have to wear a helmet. But anywhere else, no, it's, it's not law at all. Obviously insurance claims, you've got to be wearing a helmet generally in the, that's in the policy, but it's not actually mandatory anywhere basically around the world to yeah, have a safety device on your head while you're doing quite an extreme sport.
0: Right. And so it's interesting that at first pass, you kind of go, you're a helmet or a helmet styled product. So your problem is going to be around brain safety and all those things, but actually what you've articulated there is the problem you're solving is that it's about fashion. It's about looking good. It's about looking, I guess, oh, looking good is probably the best way to say it. And so the, the real problem you're solving is making the helmet or, or I guess head safety fashionable, because it's not that people are completely advert to the idea of protecting their heads. It's just that it's not as important as how they look on the, on the slopes. So is that the way you guys think about the problem you're solving?
1: You're absolutely right. Yeah. So we now think about the safety aspect of our product as hygiene. It's the safety is just expected. People just... They go and look at a wall of snowboard and ski helmets and it's just expected they're safe. So for us, we're not competing on safety. Safety isn't one of our selling points. We'll have to still prove to the market and our customers that we are safe and which we are and we'll show the, them the data and science behind it. But yes, our, our unique selling point and our, like, our problem we are solving for people isn't actually safety, it's actually the style. We, we want, people want to look cool and they want an alternative. That's, that's where we come in or they want to be comfortable, especially in the, like, the Asian markets. A huge thing is called the Asian fit. And just because of the different head shapes, jet standard helmets don't fit Asian people nearly as well as they do Western people. And so that's a huge potential market a huge potential opportunity to want to, want to tap into. But yeah, definitely comfort and style are the two, I guess, value propositions we're actually playing and marketing on, not safety as a, as a key point, even though it's a safety device.
0: Yeah. And look, I actually, for some, I don't know how it happened, but anyway, part of my genetics is I've actually got a really big head. And so if ever I go somewhere and they're like, hey, let's do rock climbing or let's go on, you know, in New Zealand, everything, every tourist thing you do in New Zealand seems to be an extreme sport. So it's like, hey, let's take our kids down, you know, the sheer side of a mountain in a toboggan and here's the helmets. And I walk up to the wall and it's like, okay, where's your extra, extra large? And they say, oh, you? And sure enough, the helmet doesn't quite fit and it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> I get off the end of the ride and the thing that hurts the most isn't sort of, you know, the tired legs or arms. It's the fact that the helmet's been squishing my head. So yeah. again, I can yeah. see, you know, my default position would be, ah, stuff the helmet. I'm just going to go with that one. She'll be right. So
1: Exactly. And especially there's a lot of, like when people are on the slopes, a lot of like, I guess, just general sensory annoyances because you haven't just got the helmet and then you got your goggles, so gloves and everything. It's a lot to actually put on and wear. And a lot of people, you know, they just want to have, it's about user experience at the end of the day on the slopes. And they just want to have the best possible experience on the slopes. And that's what we're trying to provide and give them at the core. And you're completely right. Like sizing is a huge issue for people. And even like you think of headphones, try and put a headphone into a helmet and actually listen to music while you're, while you're enjoying a sport. That's what, me personally, one of the reasons I hate helmets. I can't properly listen to music. I mean, even though there's been some advances in technology on that front with our product of being able to save as a helmet, It'll be a whole lot easier just to put your headphones in because you know it's kind of it's flexible and. It'll- form to your unique head shape. And even if you have got a large noggin, you'll still be able to wear them.
0: And I, I love the visual of the the wall of helmets at the store. And you think, yeah, here's a whole wall of helmets. And then right in the middle, I guess the goal is for you guys to have the beanie. And if you're looking, and, and helmets can be, you know, they can be bright colors they can be different shapes. They can have like a fake mohawk down the middle of it. They can all stand out. But the thing that's going to really stand out, I would imagine, and this is the dream for you guys, is that it's it's a beanie sitting in the middle and it's going to have everyone go, hang on, can I get that? Does that count? So that's, I guess that's the dream, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Even if we're like just in that visual, even if we're off to the side and we're in our own, I guess, you, you know, we're, we're, we're not even classified as a home. We're in our own category of where we sit and it's, hey, this is still safe and you can have all these different designs, you know, pom-pom, no pom-pom, what colors do you want? And just, and it provides a whole another world of unique style and fashion for people to match with their outfits because fashion is such a huge part of the slopes. And you see some insane, awesome outfits. Unfortunately, not quite a good enough rider to be quite of so, so stylish on the slopes, but there are some very good people on the slopes that are very fashionable.
0: So, so that, that's an interesting thing you just brought up there because it's about how you position yourselves in the market. And, you know, it's not uncommon for, in particular industries, for someone to want to remove themselves from one market and move into a different one. So, for example, I worked with a probiotic drink, and a lot of the question is, well, do you sit in the health food aisle? Do you sit with the probiotic yogurts? Do you sit in with the waters? Or do you sit at the quick pick it up and sit with the other types of drink or flavored waters? Like where you sit can make a big difference. And you've sort of articulated there that you might not actually sit with the helmets. You might actually be a fashion item that offers safety. Have you thought much about that and whether or not you actually want to position yourself outside of safety and make it fashion plus safety or are you looking for safety plus fashion if that makes sense
1: yeah no, absolutely it's a great question something we thought very deeply about and are still thinking heavily about i guess this idea of category design category creation because we're really we're not we don't fit into a current category we are a whole new category which is awesome it's super exciting we're, and once we kind of realize that we're this huge opportunity to lead this new category and so it's just yeah it's the idea that we aren't actually a helmet we are this and we're not even like a flexible helmet we are our own other product and so you, you're completely right we're trying to position ourselves as a whole new option for people to buy we're not trying to be quote-unquote better than current elements we're trying to be different and that's how we, we see ourselves and we want to be i think this is a, actually a topic that's not talked about enough in the startup ecosystem that i've seen i think that this whole idea concept of category creation and being king of that category is super important especially because lots of startups are doing so many awesome new innovative leading edge things and i think we definitely our product and our brand fits into that new category design, and we definitely see ourselves as the king and leader of that category.
0: Yeah, I think if you can pull it off, it's one of the great one of the great ways to build a startup is to is to redefine the way someone thinks about a market. And so, when you're redefining a market, you're always thinking about, well, if I plot everything down on an axis, and I think about what 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 are people going to make assessments around? You've clearly taken one element, which is safety. Okay, that's one element, but the other one is fashion, and by completely changing it. You know, you've you've created clean air for yourself. You know, there is there is an opportunity to create a whole new market. Which of course brings in its own problems, right? Because that means when you've got to create a market, it's like people go, Well, who are you? What do you do? Who do I speak to? Where do I stick you? And I'm guessing this is where you guys are gonna get to when it comes to things like we spoke about shell space. How do you sell it in because you know, product buyers are gonna wanna say, Well, we've got helmet space over here. Do you want one of those slots? And this is how it works. What's your what's your plan for promotion like when you think I mean there's lots of things we can talk about here but I guess we started with in-store so is there is there a game that you need to play to get helmets in-store and who you need to speak to is it stockers distributors brands How, how does that work and how do you see you guys fitting into that
1: we have definitely I guess down the line see ourselves potentially going into retail stores and I guess that would be for right now just be having foundational partners and maybe five to a dozen of them setting up I guess the deals personally And then putting ourselves in stores like that, or then eventually if we were to grow, go through an actual proper distribution, distributor, excuse me, who would, you know, obviously have access to a much more number, larger number of stores than we could ever possibly dream of. But to actually start with, we don't even, I don't know if we want to go down this route, but we don't even actually see ourselves being in store to start with. We see ourselves fly like for a distribution, kind of discussion, actually trying to distribute from the grassroots up, not from like the top down through a store. So actually engaging all the people that are on the slopes. So all the, like, you call them park rats. So like all the people that are just shredding on the slopes, they live on basically break-even, minimum wage, and they just love the sport. They just love boarding. They love skiing. And we want, kind of want them to become our distributors, quote-unquote, so to speak, or our ambassadors, and we want them to be wearing our product, be talking to the people on, like, you know, on the chairlifts, in the ski lines, and kind of actually pushing our product by the, like, the culture, by the groundswell, rather than just going – I guess, the typical traditional direct-to-the-store, direct to, direct to the store. so like B to, B to C kind of model. That is definitely an avenue we will look at, but I guess it's not one of our primary options we're actually looking at, and we yeah. Yeah, are looking at, I guess, this kind of different, like different way of trying to get our product out there and into the culture and community of snowboarding and skiing.
0: Oh, look, I think it's I mean, personally, I think it's and personally and professionally, I think it's the right approach because it doesn't matter what established industry you're talking about. You could be talking about getting stuff in supermarket shelves or distributors. You could be talking about music. You could be talking about books. In all these defined industries, there's gatekeepers and gatekeepers will negotiate hard. And if you turn up to a large distributor and try to negotiate a deal, you're probably not going to get a great deal. You know, They're not going to take much stock. It'll all be on spec. You'll be out of pocket. You'll get small margins. Whereas if you build up a following, you build up an audience, they're going to come to you. And we all know if you're going to negotiate, if the other people are coming to you and they want your business, that's a much stronger position to Absolutely. be negotiating from. And it's the same thing why people will release their own music on Spotify and try to build a following themselves because it's easier to get a contract than to go through X Factor or a record label. Same is true of books, podcasts, anything you're trying to do like if you're trying to negotiate with Coles and Woolies and try to get some shelf space it's hard like they're going to open up it's even hard to get a meeting yeah. let alone actually negotiate some shelf space but if you've got a huge following they approach you it's a whole different discussion so I love that idea when you sort of talk about infiltrating the how would you call them park rats
1: yeah yeah I love that I'm sounding
0: idea. like the old yeah. man here I'm like, <laughs> park, park rats <laughs> shredding just <laughs> this <laughs> I I can't. Just for the record, I grew up in Canberra and I went to a couple of different ski trips. I hate it. There's something about my brain which won't let my body just relax and just go with it. I am rigid, stiff, and I just hate it. I just, no, ski trip's not for me. But anyway, I digress. It's going to it
1: be a very intense sport at points.
0: <laughs> so these, so park Rats you say, so when you say infiltrate, I mean, do you have a, a plan? Because it's, it's great. To imagine this and people are chatting, but how, how do you infiltrate? Do you find the, the sneezers within these groups, the people that seem to be the trendset, the popular park rat, and then say, hey, throw this on your head for free? Or how are you planning on rolling this out? Because it's unfortunately organic growth is great in nature, but tends yeah. to have been highly crafted before it happens. Absolutely. So, what's the plan of attack?
1: Great question. So, it is, we have thought of it again, thought of it was quite in depth. We are thinking of an ambassador program, or ambassadors, maybe not the right word, but basically, "Quote unquote, pay the homies." So Rob, like myself.
0: So quote unquote, pay the homies, was it? Yes.
1: Yeah, so yeah, the- I love
0: that. I want to imagine that that's up on your white ball you know, marketing <laughs> strategy. Pay the homies, right. done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So instead of basically paying the retailers or distributors, we kind of cut that idea of that middleman out and just go straight to the people that are on the slopes and there all the time, just for the love of the sport. And talking to all the talking to other people, talking to other consumers, other other people who aren't there as frequently, and get them. So basically represent our brand, represent our product. And so the plan is its a very—it's tiered approach of obviously you think of it's kind of like an influencer model, except we're going all the way down to the grassroots level. We're not just talking to the pros because, one, we don't actually have the money for that yet. We are still a startup, so we would love to, but that's not quite possible. So we go down to the people that, are, again, are there for the love of the sport, that are recording their own videos, that are posting their own content um, online, and we will partner with them to actually help not just promote them, themselves but also promote us and kind of if we get this mutual benefit we see it as so one they're promoting content for i'm um, sorry they're producing content that we can then reuse and they can use and if it's good enough content we'll maybe i don't know we can cross collaborate on that but also we, we envisage these people actually having their own unique discount codes and when i say a few of them like we're talking dozens so all these conversations that are always happening on ski lifts in ski lines at, at lunch in the cafeteria we, they see this brand new product and you just start chatting to someone about it and all of a sudden, like, oh, like, what's that? Oh, it's just being, it's the same as that. like, Oh, that's awesome. Like, I just might've seen it, might've heard about it. And I was like, oh, hey, mate, like, do you want, you know, obviously those conversations have to happen organically. They can't be forced, but mm. then there's that little bit of incentive. And so we've, we've thought yeah, about this grassroots up approach. And again, as you say, cause retailers they can take up to 50% that will, you get, I guess, good exposure in the shops and that's not again. it's good to have your product there it's that's a big
0: cut that's 50 percent, and they they probably want you to front as well they're probably never going to buy it off you they'll probably say send us two dozen in a box and you're like oh okay right so we're going to pay for the stock and the same is true of books you know if you're doing it yourself it's like hey yeah send us send us 100 books and you think if i self-print this it's going to still cost me a thousand dollars and you're going to sit on it and then you're probably going to return it afterwards and want all your money well not money back just return it so interesting so two things two things spring to mind with that strategy and i really like it one is your timing probably couldn't be better because I think influencer marketing is being disrupted by Facebook and it will be copied by the others in that the content producing influencers will become the goldmine. And so for the next two to three years, the Mass reach influencers are going to lose their power and they're going to lose their power for a number of reasons. One is that, you know, Facebook, Instagram is hiding the likes, and Facebook's just announced they're mm-hmm. about to start hiding likes as well. But you know, organic reach is not great. You reach a lot of people that aren't really relevant and they charge you a lot of money to get that reach. With Facebook's new sponsoring of content, you could have these park rats. I love that I'm going to add park rats to <laughs> my vernacular now. Park rats who have great content and no following. They make a post on Facebook and I realize Facebook's not their, their choice medium, but, but if you follow through on the thought process and they market that you're allowed to partner and that you're allowed to distribute their content, you can actually sponsor their content and give them that reach. And I think that's an opportunity that the big brands just won't quite be getting into and probably don't have the time and effort to do, which gives you a huge window to leverage this whole new marketing channel on Facebook, which is to say, hey, produce some great content, we'll sponsor it, but it doesn't have to be much. And that way, you've avoided the kind of megastars with a million followers who are probably going to want, you know, $10,000 for a video. You can put $100 behind a, a park rat and probably get the same kind of engagement. Well, so total engagement because their audience is going to be really engaged because instead of being mass produced they're like actually I've only got a few hundred followers but what I do is really cool so I think your timing couldn't be better on that front but I'm actually more intrigued by the idea of like refer a friend or ambassador programs because I think it taps into the psychology of as well as potentially like restricted supply which is to say I remember when Gmail came out and again I'm the old guy on the phone call so on the on the podcast but you know Gmail came out and everyone was like I want to get a Gmail account, but Gmail said, you can only get an account if someone invites you. And that was the only way to get on. Now, we know that Google's not short of servers. They could have rolled out these things. It just so happened where I was working, we had a partnership with Google. And so I was able to run out and get jared.doyle or Jared Doyle at gmail.com. I tried to get Jared, but someone at Google had beaten me to it. Anyway. It was highly desirable and everyone wanted it. And then when you got on, you got 10 and you would go give 10 other people their access to get their Gmail and they raced out. Now, that was a situation where obviously Google could have rolled that out really quickly, but it created excitement and demand through scarcity. And I almost imagine for you guys, what you have to do is stop and say, okay, my default position is if someone wants to buy one of these, for the love of God, let them get paid with their credit card and and we'll send it out to them. However- if you had an invitation on your program, so I went, you know, I go to your website, I go to buy and it's like, you can't unless you get a referral code. It's like, I want it even more now. It's like when I finally get one, I'm like, and that kind of almost would force the conversation to say, if I'm going up a chairlift and I'm having a conversation, I see someone with one of your beanies on, I'm more likely to say, hey, do you have any referral codes or can you give me your codes so that I can grab one? And so the conversation could be initiated by the potential customers as well. And so that person, their ego goes up, they've got the hat, they're more likely to speak about it. So I almost wonder whether you can play in the psychology of it in restrictive supply to increase the demand and let that be the way. And also, it also creates a really interesting way for you to work out who the real Grassroots, grassroots influences are. are because everything's is yeah. trackable because you literally can't buy one unless someone's referred you. So I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I, I can see a huge opportunity.
1: Yeah, you no, know, and it's an idea we played around with um, limiting supply. Absolutely, like it's something we're definitely looking at. I guess you have to obviously have that demand there to limit the supply. <laughs> um, but yes, no, we're very keen to have a look once we once we do go to market about maybe hey, there's three thousand available, and that's all we're doing for like the first release of in the northern hemisphere season. And kind of keep that pent-up demand going into the southern hemisphere and kind of something similar, maybe at least more, and then keep that rolling. Like even now, we're not currently in a pre-order phase, but we still have people on a weekly basis messaging us, emailing us, asking if they can pay extra to actually buy one and and even just test it. Or or we have lots of people requesting to test, but we also still have other people requesting just to buy an early release model. Because they're really chomping at the bit to get their hands on it, and so I think you're absolutely right in the fact that the, the, the whole psychological scarcity play is something if have done correctly, we could, and we can execute on would be a great, great lever, great tool for us to push, and then yeah. not just yeah, not just in both hemispheres as well. And can, I'll just go back to a comment we were just talking about on the on the content model. Sorry, just before to jump back a bit, but not just I, I fully agree that like the engagement could be just as much as a much larger influencer from a smaller less followed page it also then gives from our point of view anyway and i guess the quote-unquote parker point of view the better content they produce the more likely we are to put paid media behind it and the more likely people are to engage with it and then so it actually kind of makes this also competition to actually produce better content if that makes sense as well this kind of organic way of actually like hey like the better content you produce the more engagement is going to get and the more likely we're happy to actually Pushes content out, and so it actually creates higher overall quality content. I believe not just for us as a business and them as a writer, but also the end customers.
0: Yeah, I can I can see that working really well, and I think it is it's that trend where we're moving from influencers being defined as people with huge reach, and it sort of puts the power back in the the content providers' side, and that's going to be the real power, which is really where it should be. You know, when we've we've kind of. I guess carried across this kind of pop star idea that, you know, mega stars yeah. and that's where influencer marketing needs to be. But actually we know with music, actually the person who makes it probably isn't the best. Like Taylor Swift probably isn't the best dancer, you know? So yeah, just cause they're popular. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling really old on this podcast. This is terrible. I'm like, <laughs> Taylor Swift, my reference points are going to be, you know, I'm a, a Billy Joel. Let's, let's really yeah. age me. No. So yeah, I can, I can see that working really well. And I think you touched on it. There is this idea of waiting lists. And one of the things I love about a waiting list is it's a low barrier to entry, right? There's no money exchanging hand, but you can give people a ticket. Like you can give them a number and you're on a waiting list. Now, the great thing about having a ticket and watching, you know, your numbers count down. So for example, I could be, you know, on waitlist number a thousand. So I'm going to be a thousand coming through on now. I'm going to watch them go out. I'm going to watch these products start to ship. I get excited because my number's coming up. Well, I haven't actually made the decision to purchase. All I did was just lock my spot in the line. The problem is if I'm in position a thousand, you've rolled out 300, I'm only 700 away. I'm getting closer. And then I look at the back and I think new people coming on are 8,000, I'm more likely to make the purchase rather than lose my spot. And again, it plays into the psychology of, of loss aversion. I don't want to lose my spot so I might actually make the purchase simply so that I don't lose my spot in the line and yet you go when I when I put my name in to buy a beanie and I don't snowboard or ski I probably don't want it to disappear and I can see myself doing that I can see myself thinking I want to be like the hundredth person with one of your beanies which would be a terrible thing for you because I'm never going to wear it and I'm not I'm not the right target market but If I'm on that list and you told me right now, if I went to your website, I could pick up a ticket number and wait in line. I'm probably going to buy a beanie just because I don't want to miss out. And that's that psychological trick. So I almost feel like you guys don't need, you don't need a salesperson. You need like a marketer and you need a behavioral psychologist or economist to come in. Just work out exactly how to trick people's minds and make you guys into that highly desirable brand that just, it just takes off. And then when you have supply chain problems, all it does is actually increase the demand for your product.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we've we've toured around with the idea of asking people to basically put a deposit down because we do have a, a few thousand people on an email list that are waiting basically on a pre-orders list. Which quick plug, you can sign up for if you would like to. But um, so we did do, I guess, the kickstart at the start of the year, and now we also have another list that we're keen to start kind of yeah fostering and kind of building that desire and demand for and so an idea we've toyed around with is the deposit so hey like just if you deposit 50 dollars, you are guaranteed to be one of the first x amount of people to get that and then you can make the rest of your payment after once once we go to actually deliver your beanie and that's maybe just for any other companies out there that are pre-product could be an interesting idea so i guess guess one get funds in and two i guess keep that pent up demand going before launch actually happens as well
0: yeah. You could double double layer it. And you get people on a list, you get a number. So it's like it's like waiting at the at the deli at at the supermarket. I've got my number, I've got my ticket, yeah. I'm got my number's gonna get called up. Then my number gets called up, and all the number does is now I just pay a deposit to keep my spot. And yeah. like, oh I'll pay a small deposit. You just you're basically just dragging people through this thing where they just you're just building up the loss aversion so that people Actually, you just get great conversions. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love
1: that idea of waiting at the deli and the supermarket. That's a that's a perfect analogy. I think there, it's it's a great yeah great way to think about it.
0: And even something as ridiculous now as like the iPhone 11. I mean, you know, I was shocked. Like most people, discover people still line up for those things. Like there's still someone in Sydney who bought the first iPhone 11 in, in Australia, and you know, the paper still took his picture and he was on social media and he got clapped his thing. And there were still people whose job or who tried to sell their positions in the line. So you know, this. Exists on an iPhone 11. I mean, this thing's been around for you know, 10, 11, 12 years, whatever it is now. And so you just go, well, if that can still happen, then the chance for you guys is going to be. Yeah. The chance it's going to work for you guys is obviously much stronger. So
1: yeah, and yeah, definitely something we're excited about.
0: Great. Now I want to loop all the way back to the original pitch and I just need you to verbally describe <laughs> before we finish, because I realized we didn't actually get to that, what that pitch was at StartCon when I first saw your product. And then we'll sort of go, if people want to see that and links and stuff, we can get some information, but I'm keen for you to actually explain how you guys pitch your product in the real world. I guess to actually describe the pitch through. Yeah, because I think it's just it's yeah. To explain why you guys get so much traction early on, you've got to appreciate for how you (laughs) get everyone's attention. Of
1: course, yes. So we pitch with we open with our problem, obviously. So the problem of that helmets are uncomfortable and no one likes to wear them. Then we our solution is it's a beanie, it's as safe as a helmet. We put the helmet on. Rob puts the helmet on, and either Brady or I are the lucky ones that we have a, a meter long bit of plywood about four or five centimeters thick, and we whack Rob over the head. It snaps in half, everyone's like in shock and awe. Sometimes we get a few claps, but everyone kind of just is in shock that someone has just been whacked over the head with a bit of wood on stage at a pitch event. And it's actually to prove that the, obviously that the product works. Cause a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever, mate. Like you've got to beat your as a helmet or a radio. And I guess the actual physical demonstration shows like, oh, like, oh shit, like it actually works. Like this thing's real. And we included that in our pitch after We a pitch in front of Steve Baxter where he didn't actually believe it could work. And so we thought, actually, hey, we need to physically demonstrate this product does work in front of a live audience. And it definitely captures the whole energy and attention of the room. And we have lots of people coming up to us after like, hey, love that you guys just whack each other over the head to prove that your product works
0: yeah I think it, it's still one of my favorite it's the biggest wow I've ever had in a startup pitch and I've seen lots of them now over the years it's the one that I've just kind of gone that just absolutely floored me and had everyone talking so you know I think you guys are onto a, a great thing and I'm, I'm super excited to see where you go and as the as the product launches I just I kind of it's one of those ones I'm just I'm cheering for you from the sidelines oh, so you know love your support thank you so following on from that if people want to watch the video find out more get themselves in that waiting list so we can trick them into loss of version <laughs> and eventually buy the beanie where do they need to head to get themselves on one of these lists
1: yeah so anti dot not.com.co is our website at the top tab you'll have a place to register for pre-orders that's the list that you can the magical list you can sign up for and then from there video wise there our instagram is probably the best place that's also anti antiordinary.co on instagram and we've got some videos of us whacking each other over the head in there that would, that would be the best two places
0: that's great any people want to follow your startup journey or connect with you or they want to jump the queue or be an investor and get the first (laughs) beanie or whatever it happens to be. Where's the best place to find you online to reach out and connect with you?
1: Uh, Liam Norris on LinkedIn would probably be I guess the easiest point. otherwise more than happy to chat on any, any medium, Facebook as well if you want. More than happy to chat about anything Marking, just love
0: these conversations. Great. Well, look, Liam, thank you so much. You've again, look, I love the product. I love that it's physical. Most of the time I speak to startups, it's software based, you know, SaaS is the cool thing. So I love that there's a, a proper physical product going out there with real innovation. You've got a clear picture. You've got one of the best pictures going around. I just want you to be one of those success stories that just takes off. And, you know, you know oh, I remember when I got Liam on my podcast and now <laughs> you can't book him because Oprah is at the front of the list or something. So
1: I can't wait for that day either. You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so look, mate, congratulations on what you've done so far. Good luck with the, the manufacturing and going live. And thank you so much for your time today on the podcast. Well, good. Thanks for having me on, Jared. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that will really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me of course is on LinkedIn, following me on social media or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.